All right. So. We live in interesting times. I think we all know this. And so I'll start with a brief observation about the days in which we live. We live in a day and age where, in our media, we make movies like the latest one that Marvel is coming out with. I haven't even seen the trailer. I just heard about it. Where it's, it's the three, now it's the three female superheroes. They're headlining this movie. So we're now making movies where, the, you know, the 100-pound soaking wet women are decimating all of the, the bodybuilding 250-pound henchmen, you know. That's what we do in the movies. And in real life, we let, we, we let the women lose their years and years of hard labor and say, oh, no, this is equality. We're going to stick, stick men in, in, your, in your league and let them steal all your hard work. That's how backwards the world in which we live today is when it comes to gender. We can't even see straight. There's either willful blindness or there's delusion. There's the work of the devil. There's Romans 1, God turning us over to confusion. And that's how crazy it is. We'll make fake stories about women doing things, basically doing things that God made men to do. Just far beyond the, the bounds of rationality, rationality and normalcy. And then in, in the real world, we'll just grind women into the dust. You know, no, no trophies for you. That's the world in which we live. And so the question is, judgment starts in the house of God. Do we have a good alternative to present? The issue of gender and the roles of the sexes is so fraught nowadays and so under attack and so constantly in our face And it can be easy to just kind of have a negative attitude toward the world and even a reactionary attitude where we're not actually able to deal with our own problems because we're so busy looking at what is bad out there. And it is bad. We should have seen this stuff coming a long time ago. The fuddy-duddies like me who were complaining about Astrid and How to Train Your Dragon and saying, this is is feminism, this isn't good. Well... May I say I told you so? <laughs> not you guys. I'm not saying that you guys were defending it. But point being, this has been coming years in advance. It's, it's no surprise as you go down the slope to, to hell. But what's, what started? Is it, is it just that we started doing bad things or is it that we stopped loving good things? Is it just that we started leaving the standard or is it that we stopped loving the standard? God's word is good. And the way God gave it to us is good. And it's not enough to sit in our holy huddle and say, oh, that stuff is all bad. How to train your dragons, bad. Well, it's made by pagans. They don't know the Lord. Of course the stuff they produce is not going to follow biblical standards. Judgment starts in the house of God. Do we have an actual alternative that we're presenting, that we love, that is beautiful? So I've been meditating a lot about the idea of patriarchy because we have to understand the idea of patriarchy biblically and balancedly, or else we will fall into errors on a variety of sides. And number one, it's unbiblical. Number two, it gives ammunition to the world because they have genuine critiques that we have not dealt with. So I am seeking to build a biblical ethic and understanding of what biblical patriarchy is supposed to look like. Okay, the etymology of the word patriarchy is pater, archos. I'm probably mixing up the languages. Point being, it's father rule. 
Okay, the, the concept of patriarchy is father rule, the, the man is the head of the home. And that's clearly biblical in, in essence. Now, it can also clearly be applied unbiblically and done wrong. But when you've got, you've got options of patriarchy, matriarchy, and egalitarianism, the biblical picture is patriarchy. It is the, the man is the head of the home. Our world argues for egalitarianism, and then in the media basically advocates matriarchy because the men are they're kind of dumb oafs, right. and the women need to keep them in line because the women are perfect angels. Well, the Bible says, no, you're all sinners, and God ordained this authority structure not because men are perfect angels and more, more holy and, and better inherently, but because God has the right to set up structures, and things work best in the structure that he sets up, okay? So... Therefore, then, if we're, gonna, if we're going to have a patriarchal system, what are some of the errors that that is prone to? And how do we understand that biblically and not just in reaction to stuff? We react to feminism, and so we're just going to patriarch harder. Okay, well, that, that, that might be good if patriarching harder looks like what the Bible says, or it might be bad if patriarching harder is putting on attributes of the flesh because this makes feminists mad, so it must be good. That's not the correct epistemology. So, number one, so these are principles of patriarchy. Number one, and I, I, I don't think this is original. I believe this was actually uh, my friend Josiah said this. And his, and I may not be remembering it correctly, but I'm just trying not to steal credit if it wasn't me that came up with it, because I don't think it was. So, Authority, number one, authority is empowered responsibility. So authority is you now have the power to do something you are responsible to do. When God gives authority, it's not just like, hey, you're the boss man now. No responsibility, you're just in charge. That's not the biblical picture of authority. Authority is empowered responsibility. You have a job, you have a responsibility and I'm giving you the authority, the power to do your responsibility. This is for a purpose. This is not just for your own selfishness, your own, your own desires, okay? And I'm trying to keep every point that I make tied to Scripture because we want to have a biblical ethic here. We don't want a rational ethic. We don't want a statistics-based ethic. We don't want a, an ethic that sounds good or an ethic that's not feminist or whatever. We want an ethic that comes from Scripture. So check me on these. Because if it's not tied to God's word, then it's arbitrary, pointless, okay? So, number one, authority is empowered responsibility, Numbers 30. You're familiar with Numbers 30, probably. That's the one that talks about wife or daughter makes a vow, husband, father hears of it, whichever household that that woman is in. And in the first day, if he hears it and he says, uh, no, no, we're, we're not doing that, then what does it say? Pay attention to the wording here. If her father should forbid her... On the day he hears of it, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her because her father had forbidden her. So God actually, God is the one, God is the enforcer of vows, right? When we make vows, when we keep our word, we do so out of the fear of God. That's our primary concern. Otherwise, we can make promises, break promises. The universe doesn't care. It's just a question of whether or not it can get away with it. But God is the enforcer of vows, and that's why it matters that we keep our vows, Okay, if God is the enforcer of vows and God is saying, I've set up this authority structure and I will honor it. When this woman makes a vow and her father or husband annuls it, I'm forgiving her. 
So God is not out to get her. Like, aha, you messed up and made a stupid vow, and now your husband annulled it, now I'm going to get you. No, God says, I forgive you of that vow. It's, I'm, I'm letting, letting you go from that. Your husband annulled it. I want you to live under his authority, and I'm not holding that against you. That's pretty big. That's, that's interesting that that's God's view of it. Now look at, um, this is the next page for me. This is verse 15, Numbers 30, verse 15. We're talking about the husband in this one. If he indeed annuls them, the vow, after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. That's a very interesting phrase too. What does that sound like? That sounds like responsibility. That also sounds like what Jesus did for us. Jesus bore our guilt to the cross. Now, does that mean that the husband is Jesus and he is the one that saves his wife? Absolutely not. That's, that's ridiculous. Don't build that straw man. We're not talking about that. The husband is a picture of Christ, Ephesians 5. The wife is a picture of the church, Ephesians 5. There is no substitute for Jesus. Women are also Christians. There is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. So we're not talking about the husband is the, the one that, that atones for his wife's sins. That is, that is heresy. That is just wickedness. Okay. But there is, there's a picture there. And God says he's responsible. He shall bear her guilt. If he annuls her vows, it's on him. Now, I don't think that means that God is saying, now, anytime you annul your wife's vows, you're now guilty. I'm going to punish you. Otherwise, the whole law doesn't make any sense. But it does mean that there is a specific responsibility that he has. He's going to carry this. So his attitude shouldn't just be kind of lackadaisical and, hey, I'm going to annul your vows for the fun of it. No, this is a serious thing. She made a vow. You're given authority by God to annul that. And you better take it seriously. Because if you do, you bear her guilt. You're saying this is something where I feel like I need to step in and carry this for my wife. This is not a good decision, sweetheart. We can't do that. And I will bear your guilt. That's responsibility. That's heavy. So you see how this ties? Authority is empowered responsibility. This is not just, hey, I get to annul all the things. No, this is, I'm responsible for my wife. And this is a heavy, heavy deal here. I need to take this seriously. Okay, number two, authority is for the good of its people. So patriarchal authority and all other authority is for the good of its people. Authority in scripture is never for the good of the person in authority. It's never so that I can just be the boss. I can be the big cheese and the head honcho and sit on the couch and demand sandwiches whenever I want sandwiches. That's not what authority is for. You see this over and over again in scripture. You can look at Matthew 20, 25 to 28. You can look at John 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And so here we have to make a quick discussion of this false dichotomy here between servant and leader. You've heard the term servant leader, be a servant leader. And people in the Doug Wilson, Michael Foster camp bristle against that because I think from, from, what, from the vibes that I am getting, their issue is that in our egalitarian culture today, servant leadership ends up meaning that if you're going to be a leader, what that really means is all you do is just do house chores and now you're a leader. That's, that's not servant leadership. Be, well, why? Why? How do we know that? Because that's not how Jesus led. Jesus had no problem speaking with authority. Jesus had no problem telling his disciples, go and make preparations here, right? Jesus, he was the master. They knew it. They did what he said. So he had a real authority. It's not like Jesus was the disciples' slave. But his authority was for the good of his disciples. He spoke with authority, and he also girded himself with a towel and washed their feet. And said, if you want to be first, you should be last. 
If you want to be first, you need to be, be a servant. So if, you, if we're understanding servant leader biblically, that is losing neither of those terms. Yeah, you're, you're a leader, meaning you actually do have to make the call sometimes. Yeah, you, you do need to step up. You do have authority. You have real authority in the home. It is not wrong for you to say, no, this is what we need to do. A servant, an actual, a technical servant can't do that, right? The household servant can't walk in and say, hey, guys, we're going out for pizza tonight. He's the household servant. He can't do that. So servant leadership involves leadership. You are the leader of the home, but it means that as the leader, that leadership is for the benefit of your people. It's so you can lay down your life for your wife, for your kids. That's Ephesians 5. Lay down your life for your bride like Christ laid down his life for the church. It's for the good of your people. And that's the example that Jesus set. He sets aside, he sets aside his right to say, wash my feet. This is all about me. I'm the boss. And if anybody had the right, that was God in the flesh. Jesus had the right to say that. He says, no, I'm going to set the example. I'm going to gird myself with a towel and wash your feet. Out of his love. He was concerned for his people. all the way, To the cross. I mean, he, he, it cost him his life. His concern for his bride and for his people. So, and that's not something that uh, we can just brush aside by saying, well, yeah, I would, if, if a guy came after my wife in a dark alley, I would lay down my, my life for her. Great. Good. You should. But that's not where it stops. This is a, this is a daily thing. You can't just excuse... Being a micromanaging, nitpicking, I want what I want guy all the time. Because if it ever came down to it, I would take a bullet for my wife. Okay, well, number one, your current conduct makes me doubt that. Number two, even if you would, you're still missing the picture. You're supposed to be laying down your your life for your wife, for your kids every day. Jesus, yeah, he went to the cross. He also washed feet. He did both. Okay? To number two, authority is for the good of its people. Number three, a husband's authority... The patriarch's authority should be, I'm seeking balance here. I'm seeking balance because there's this constant, one side or the other, this constant, this extreme or that extreme, and it's tearing the church apart, and it breaks my heart, and we have got to be able to hold these truths in tension and in love and build a biblical alternative, or we're in trouble, okay? A husband's authority should be Loving and patient and understanding and humble and self-sacrificial. You see that in Ephesians 5. You see that in 1 Peter 3, 7. He lives with his wife in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. He grants her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is a daughter of the king that I am married to. This is not a, not a, a second-rate human. This is not a less than. This is a child of God and I had better treat her with care because God will be her avenger. If I do not, my prayers will be hindered. And on the other hand... His authority should not be apologetic. I'm sorry that God put me in, in as the head of the home. I'm sorry that I have to make this decision. I'm, 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 really, I'm sorry that this is difficult and offensive and he's just kind of like pleading and, and, and whining and being apologetic about it. No, God said it this way and it's good. It should not be indecisive. Well, what do you think, sweetheart? Well, okay, but yeah, but what do you think? Well, I don't know. What do you think? I'm not saying he shouldn't get her opinion. He absolutely should. But getting her opinion and listening and caring for her doesn't mean he's indecisive and afraid to make any decisions. In fact, that's laying weight on her that she wasn't meant to carry. She's not supposed to carry the, okay, basically you want me to make the decision apparently? No, he needs to stand up, be the man and say, no, this is what we need to do. He needs to listen. He needs to be humble. He needs to not be a jerk. But he doesn't need to be apologetic. Yeah, God made him the head of the home and he needs to lovingly use that authority for the blessing of his people. It's not abdicating. 
Okay, so it is humble and patient and understanding. It is self-sacrificial. It's not apologetic or indecisive or abdicating. We see that in Numbers 30. It's interesting. God says, you have one day to annul her vow. The first day you hear of it. That's a problem for the indecisive man. That's a problem for the man who won't step up to the plate. That means I got one day to make a decision. And if I've got a problem with this, this is my chance. And and it should be a wise problem, a biblical problem, a problem from the fear of God, not just because I want to have my wife under my thumb. But at the same time, I have a responsibility to take care of this woman. And I think that was a bad decision. Okay, then that means today. That means I'm stepping up today and I'm saying, sweetheart, we can't do this. I, I need to annul this vow. The indecisive man is not able to do that because it takes him four weeks to figure out what he thinks about it. Well, at that point, God has already said it's too late. It stands. You got one day. So God expects decisive leadership from husbands. First Timothy 3, 4, and 2, he must be someone who, uh, I'm sorry, 3, 4, and 12 talks about a husband being, or the prospective elder or deacon being one who manages his household well. So that he is exercising his authority over his home in a way that you look at that home and say, that is a well-managed home. That man is caring for his home well. He is ruling his home well. He is being a lowercase l lord of his home well. Why do I use that term? Because the Bible does. The Bible points to Sarah as an example and says she called her husband Lord, whose children you are if you do what is right without any fear. That is scriptural advice to wives. So should husbands be lordly? Absolutely. Like Jesus. Not like Caesar. Like Jesus. This is protection for the wife and the children. And it's responsibility for the husband and the father. That's how this works. This is not libertinism for the husband and father who gets to do whatever he wants and abject slavery for the wife and children. No, this is protection done biblically for the wife and kids. And this is responsibility for the fathers. Look at Hosea 4.14. In Hosea 4.14, God says, I'm not going to hold your daughters responsible for playing the harlot. I'm not going to hold your wives responsible for cheating on you because you, men, you're leading into sin. It's on you. That's not a light thing. And God calls us to carry that. It's responsibility. It's a good and glorious thing. But it's responsibility. Number four, no human authority is unlimited. Obviously, obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29. We all should, this should be clear to everybody. If your husband says, hey, sweetheart, let's go rob a bank. You don't submit to your husband. You submit to God. Okay? That's clear. That's obvious. The next thing, with no human authority is unlimited, here's another area where I'm I'm seeking to build a biblical balance, a biblical understanding here, is no human authority is unlimited means there is a process, there is a recourse in every human authority for how you deal with a tyrannical or abusive authority. So the the blatant sin ones are scripture. They're they're clear, right? If a husband wants to use pornography with his wife, his wife should say, I'm, I'm sorry, I must obey God rather than men. I can't do that. She should be respectful. Absolutely. But no, she belongs to God first. Can't do that. Okay, clearly, that's, that's easy. The other stuff is more complicated. He's being unloving. He's being micromanaging. He's, he's making unreasonable demands, but they're not sin. Okay, so how do you deal with that? Well, you follow the biblical processes of dealing with sin. You see that in Matthew chapter 18. So is patriarchal tyranny a sin? Yes, absolutely. 
Is everything that a wife feels like is patriarchal, t- patriarchal tyranny a sin? No. There's going to be stuff that he does and she feels like this is tyranny, and it's not. Well, how do you sort through that? Start with prayer. Everybody, husband or wife. First recourse, prayer. Prayer, long-suffering, love, humility, grace. But that's not the last step. If there's an issue that's not resolved, then what? And there's confronting, talking about it, Matthew chapter 18. We talk about it. They won't listen. Okay, now I go get two or three more witnesses. And if I've got godly godly people in my life and I'm the one in the wrong, and I go to them and I say, hey, my wife won't let me tell her every article of clothing she's ever supposed to wear and plan out her wardrobe and plan out her meal menus and plan out how she runs the home and plan everything and just do everything that I say at every moment of every day. And my other men in the church would say, what's wrong with you, man? Like what that, I mean, yeah, I guess technically she should, she should submit to you, but you're kind of being a jerk, right? So if you, when you go to that two or three witnesses step, you're already getting feedback. But if you go to your two or three witnesses and you can say, I've asked my wife to do this and she, she won't follow me on this and I really feel biblically like I need to do this, then they can say, okay, that's, that's reasonable. Let's go talk to her or vice versa. If the wife is, I've, my husband is fill in the blank. He, he, won't, he won't let me have my own cell phone. Okay, that, that's concerning to me, right? If, if a man won't let his wife have her own cell phone, what's going on? So I would want that woman to come to my wife and to be able to tell her, and my wife's going to come to me, and I'm going to go to that guy and say, what's going on? Why, why can't your wife have a cell phone, man? Obviously, it's not a sin for her to not have a cell phone. But that's not all that we're required to do in the body of Christ. We don't just live based on, okay, what are the technical sins and everything else we just can't speak to. Okay, so we follow the biblical process of dealing with sin. Patriarchal tyranny is sin. Unsubmissive wives are in sin. Both. Both need dealt with biblically, okay? Wives and daughters are Christians too, so they follow the the Matthew 18 process too. They have the right and the duty to obey God in this way. It's a duty. You have to obey God in this way. And follow the Matthew 18 process. And this requires real and biblical terminology when we deal with sin, too. So you can't, it can't just be a matter of, well, it's, it's, it, my husband triggers me. My, my husband is emotionally abusive to me. Now, that also doesn't mean that you're not just, you might, you might actually be experiencing real sin. So if someone comes to you and tells you, my husband triggers me, the right response would not be, <laughs> you're just using worldly psychology. No, the right response would be, okay, what do you mean by that? Let's talk about it because there, there may really be a problem that we need to deal with. But let's find a biblical term. Otherwise, it's not actionable. I can't do anything with it. I can't say you're a triggering person. I'm going to church discipline you because the, the Bible has no category for that. But I can say you're an angry and tyrannical husband who's not loving your wife and living with her in an understanding way. And we need to deal with this. Okay, I can, that's actionable at that point. So we have to teach the ladies in our churches... Again, they have to be taught as wives to both submit fully and happily to their husbands, but also that there is recourse, too. It's not just mindless. Godly submission doesn't just mean you shut your brain off and now you're just kind of an automaton that just does what you're told. You have a recourse first in prayer. You want to have a gentle and quiet and respectful attitude, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 2. But if it gets down to it, it is appropriate to be able to talk to your church, talk to your your elders, talk to women in the church, be getting godly advice, and maybe getting help. 
And this idea that if you're a good wife, you're not going to talk to anybody about anything your husband does wrong, that's foolish. That's dangerous. I mean, yeah, you shouldn't be a woman who goes around bad-mouthing your husband. For sure. Oh, he's so stupid. Oh, he does it. Oh, he does that. Then yeah, that, that's, no, you need to respect your husband. But that doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to lie to cover up his sin because that's what it means to be, a, no, that's not what it means to be a godly wife. And if you need help, we can't bear one another's burdens if we can't talk about one another's burdens. If we believe that submission to husbands means unthinking subjection, then try that with the government. Because the government tells us to submit to the government too. I mean, the Bible tells us to submit to the government. And nobody says, oh, so that just means we shouldn't say anything. We just do whatever they say. The prophets didn't act like that. The prophets had no problem saying, this is what God says. Well, why would we expect that then of, of wives? They're just supposed to not say anything, not think anything. No, they have a recourse in the body of Christ. Okay, so last point, number five. Maybe the most important point. The most uncomfortable place for either an unsubmissive wife or a tyrannical patriarch is the faithful local church. You'll see this over and over. Wives who don't want to submit to their husbands don't stay in churches. Husbands who want to have their family under their thumb don't stay in local churches. They just move on to the next one, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. As soon as it gets close enough to where it's, it's bumping up against my authority now, they're putting me in check now, we're getting out of here. And a godly church might need to do some pursuing at that point. They might need to say, no, 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 no. We, we're, we're looking out for that woman. We're looking out for those kids. Same thing with an unsubmissive wife. The church is supposed to be dealing with sin, okay? If people in your church are comfortable in sin, then that church is failing to be faithful. You see it in Titus 2.15, Matthew 18, Galatians 6.1. There's a consistent pattern in Scripture of we deal with sin. We rebuke sin. We speak the truth in love where there is sin. So if this is the church where all the tyrannical patriarchs come and they just feel affirmed because all that's ever taught is y'all better submit Y'all better submit to your husband. Y'all better submit to your father. There's no recourse. You just go submit. That's all you do. And so that all the tyrannical patriarchs can come here and feel comfortable. That is a problem. That church is failing to defend half the flock. And the other half of the flock is just encouraging in sin. If we don't know each other beyond the surface, then we are failing to be faithful. If people can come in and pretend that everything's great then that shows that we're not in each other's lives enough. If we're not close enough to see red flags and be thinking, what's going on in there, and start asking some questions, then we need to deepen our fellowship. We can't really speak the truth in love without that. So a restoration, and we're seeing this today, a restoration of biblical masculine authority in the home, which is good. We're seeing that today. This, there's this reaction to feminism. There's this, okay, men step up. Men be the head of your home. Come on, men. Take the lead. Lead your homes. Amen. That's good. We need that. That requires the same thing to happen in the church. Otherwise, you just wind up with a bunch of little homes with daddy tyrants, and there is no balancing authority. We've heard before, we we have the basic idea that it is good men that stand between bad men and women and children. right? We want good men out there in society so that when the bad men want to pillage and plunder, the good men stand in their way. Well, that needs to be happening in the church. If we're going to have masculine men in the home, then we need to have masculine men in the church. 
We need to have pastors who are involved. We need to have men in the church who are going to be looking at each other saying, Brother, you loving your wife? You taking care of your kids? And my wife's hearing some things from her wife, from your wife, and uh, it's got me worried. We need to talk. Biblical masculinity is not just so I can be the boss of my home. It's not at all so I can be the boss of my home. It's so I can lead my home and love service and with authority, biblical authority. But it also applies to our church relationships. We should have the kind of masculinity where we say, hey, brother, what's going on? Let's talk. We should have where pastors are looking out for the sheep, all the sheep, the female sheep too. This has to be true in the church. Pastors and shepherds have to look out for all of the sheep. The brothers and sisters of the church, we need to know each other, we need to love each other, and we need to deal with sin. So is patriarchy biblical? Yes. Is any authority that God gives to any human unlimited? No. And so we should seek to play out all the principles of Scripture in how we obey God and obey his structure for the church and for the family.